MaskLab is a hub for multimodal and digital scholarship that explores the relationship between media and our changing society. We support, curate, and create media intended to spark dialogue and social change, and the development of pedagogy that uses media to foster civic engagement. MathLab is located in the Communication, Media, and Learning Technology Design Program at Teachers College, Columbia University. Good morning. My name is Jacqueline Cofield, and I am a doctoral candidate at Teachers College. And I'm in the podcast group here in the Mask Lab Media and Social Change um, group. That is, we've been working all year on our podcasting ideas. And I chose to do, we're doing a collaborative um, podcast, the podcasting group, and all thinking about New York City. And I chose to talk to moms. Um, to think about what is it like to be a mom in New York City. So uh, I have two special guests today who I know personally, who are um, peers of mine at Teachers College. And could you just both introduce yourself? Uh, we start with you, Erica. Sure. <clears throat> um, my name's Erica, Erica Hill, and I am originally from Los Angeles. I moved to New York to go to Teachers College uh, recently um, in order to get a master's degree in education policy. Um, I have two small children, four and a five-year-old right now, about to turn five and six, a uh, boy and a girl. I'm currently not in New York, but I'm still doing my degree, pushing it through as a mom. Eh? Um, but um, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Yay. Welcome, Erica and Xiaoyi. I'm Xiaoyi. I'm from China. I came to New York in 2018. So this is my fifth year in New York City. I have a three-year-old son um, who enjoyed his bike riding this morning very much. And yeah, I'm happy to have this talk with all of you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you both being here. I did forget to mention that I have, I am a mom and I have, you both know this already, but I have a daughter, she's four, and she will be turning five this Thursday. So as we're finishing the semester, this is my very busy week with school, but you know, I'm planning the big five birthday stuff. So this is all a day in the life of being a mom. So to both of you, what are your favorite free activities that you've done in New York City with your child, with your children? A lot. I love the free activities that New York City has. Um, but I think the first thing that come to my mind is um, New York Public Library, which um, we go to like at least three or four times each week, either in the morning or in the afternoon. Sometimes they have um, Lego building. Sometimes that they have free play um, time and sometimes they have story. And yeah, so every time my son goes there, he can meet with different people and and just have fun. And and it's safe there. And during the day when I cannot be with my son, it's my mother that takes care of my son. And there she can actually get some relaxing time because she does not have to chase the three-year-old like here and there. Just let him do whatever he wants. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. Public yes. library. 
I love it. Absolutely. My daughter got her first library card. Um, I want to say she's four mm-hmm. now, but I want to say it was um, when she had just turned three. So, uh, yeah, and she was so excited to get her library card, and I try to make sure that the books aren't overdue. But uh, but I agree with you. The libraries are so great. What about you, Erica? So um, I'd say that the thing that comes to mind is the parks um, when I was there going to. But I guess it depends on where you are. Right. But the parks are the most freest. Um, the one that's near both of them near TC. I can't remember the names right now. Um, Jacqueline, you probably remember. Yeah. Morning, remember. Morningside Park with the playgrounds and Riverside uh-huh. Park. Stand at, at um, Riverside Park, right? And yeah. then Morningside, the huge playground that's enclosed. Um, it freaked me out at first, honestly. It's such a huge park, and people are just really kind of, parents just chill, and they just relax, or the kids run around. But now I saw, like, after being there, I noticed why people were so comfortable doing it, honestly. Um, let's see, another one, museums. You introduced me to, Jacqueline. Really <laughs> Yes, that's that's definitely my thing. <laughs> yes, of course the challenge games definitely more definitely fun. Yes, and the parks. I think that people who are not in New York City they wonder like about parenting in New York City. I think they don't realize that we have a lot of playgrounds. We have so many playgrounds in New York City. All the parks have multiple playgrounds. Uh, so there's a lot of places to take your kids outside to play. And in, on the rainy days, the libraries are great because they really do. The George Bruce Library on 125th Street has a wonderful second floor. They have programs there that my daughter has gone to, like, science um, activity, like branded programs like that. And it's just really, really great. So, um, Erica, you brought up museums. What's your fondest memory at a museum in New York City? Um, going to the Children's Museum is the one that I most love. Um, I love the different uh, rooms in there. So I remember downstairs, they had, you know, the shop, but then also they had, like, in that room, they had a coloring area, they had an art area. Like, it's a whole art museum, right? Because it's a children's museum, but in that room, it was so many different sections that you can go to just in that bottom room, let alone, you know, the second floor and everything else. yeah, you could really and, spend like a whole day there almost. Just to engage as a parent with your kid, you know, I think that's the fondest. Um, yeah. Like, uh, what about you, Sari? Yeah, um, I took my son to Children's Museum once last year, and it was amazing. Um, but the first, my, I mean, the fondest memory for me is Guggenheim last year. Um, Jacqueline and Imani was there too. And before that visit, I was wondering how my son would react to the whole art thing or museum thing because he was two by then and back then and uh and he had fun i mean he had his own way to interact with the museum with the space the minute he entered guggenheim building he started to observe and jump and run here and there and enjoy the spinning around hallway <laughs> of that Guggenheim Museum. Although he's not a typical, I mean, he did not really participate in the uh, activities on that day because he had his own choice in terms of how to um, enjoy himself in that museum. And I love that. And he enjoyed it very much. So 
from that day, I I started to think about so. What does it mean for a for a young child to visit museum to enjoy art and to have his or her own creative way to 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 interact with this space? Yes, I remember that day. It was so much fun.、Uh, you're referring to the Guggenheim program for young people called、yeah. Little Googs,、um, Little Googs. G U G G S, which is a great program.、Uh, my daughter has taken classes at the Guggenheim, and I have photos of her like sitting in front of Kandinsky paintings, pointing at it, and discussing his work. And、um, and the, it's so funny you mentioned like running around because my daughter also loves to go as soon as she could walk. I was like, it's time to go to museums, and so we've been going to museums so much. And she just one of the things she loves to do because of this the big space, the the tall ceilings and everything. It just kind of invites this movement of your body, and so、uh, and in particular the Guggenheim, which is like circular.、Uh, so she's just like running around in those circles, and I'm run- chasing after her. So <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's beautiful space,、um, but definitely the parents are you know sometimes running and chasing after our kids around those those <laughs> those circles, especially the little ones. But I just love that the Guggenheim has programs just like targeting little the little kids, like kids. Under five,、um, and there, we've been to the Whitney too. And the Whitney、um, has like the Whitney, the MoMA. A lot of these museums have programs,、uh, guides for kids, and so they can do drawing and coloring in those books. And、uh, my daughter was doing that also at the Whitney, and she ended up standing up、uh, at one point. We were in the Janie Packer exhibition, and she started reciting her her、uh, story, and then she. A crowd amassed around her, and she ended up getting a standing ovation in the Whitney Museum. And I have、wow. photos of that. <laughs> so these are this is like you know、um, the one one of the great things about New York City. There's so many museums, and so as a mom, it's really really great because most of them are free,、um, and some of them are not free. Like the Children's Museum is not free. Ironically,、um, that one. I think it's like sixteen dollars. But if you have a library card, a New York City library card, you can get in for free using、um, Culture Pass, and so that's pretty cool. So、um, definitely sign up for that. So childcare. We are all、uh, graduate students and busy moms trying to do so much. How do you find childcare in New York City? Yeah. <laughs> so the way, the way that I did was、um, through Google. You know the My Schools NYC、um, website helps helped a lot. I just Google searched it because I was doing my best trying to find it, <laughs> trying to find some childcare because you know got two kids.、Um, they were two and three at that time.、Um, so that's how I found childcare. There, that's the best resource. I think the easiest resource because everything else is just too hectic.、Um, and then. You know, mouth word of mouth for for like maybe extra help like、uh, nannies or you know ba- a babysitter or whatever,、um, and then friends, right? Like me and Jacqueline have swapped times to go get groceries or things like that. Oh yes,、um, I have no those days, right? We <laughs> work, so I just had to tap it through. But yeah,、um, and my my schools NYC, then people you know. <laughs> <laughs> was that the same for you, Shawi, or did you have other strategies?、Um, it's good to know that this website, My School NYC, can help because that's something I'll definitely use this fall.
because ever since my son was born in 2020, my mother is here helping me. So it's always my mom so far. But very soon, like this summer, my mom is going back to China and um, she will have some of her her me time because it's, it's not easy for a nearly 70-year-old to stay in another country. She cannot speak English at all and she misses her friends, her family, and she sacrificed a lot for me and for my son. And now it's time for her to enjoy her me time. And yeah, then mm. starting this fall, I'll need to seek child care. And thank you, Erica, for bringing that up. And I think, yeah, I use um, my friends, but which is a bit far away. They stay in Long Island or in Bronx or Queens. And I think um, I may um, reach out to some of my TC friends, peers, to um, babysit from time to time. Yeah. Absolutely. I've done all of those things. Um, I definitely have collaborated with um, my peers. And uh, like Erica mentioned, we would swap kids so that we could do things like go to grocery shopping um, or just have a couple of hours to ourselves. You know, it's like, okay, you, I'll keep them for a couple hours. You keep them. So that was really, really great because um, it's so childcare is so expensive and it just really adds up. And um, but I also, be, you know, being that we go to, uh, teachers College, um, we have a listserv at TC that we can post uh, our needs for childcare and also people who are interested seeking uh, to be uh, babysitters or nannies, they also post on there. And I always felt comfortable with that because I knew that they were graduate students at TC. And uh, so that just made me, and most many of them are teachers or they're doing some kind of work uh, with children already. And uh, so that was another resource. So I've, she, my daughter's had uh, various babysitters that came directly from, from TC. And when, it's funny because when I'll bring her on campus, sometimes we'll run into them and it's pretty exciting. Um, so what are some of the challenges of being a single mom and a graduate student in New York City to young children? We all three of us are single moms, uh, which is a coincidence. And so that's great because now we have this conversation between us that is really um, a shared, you know, a shared experience as, as being single moms in New York City. So uh, just maybe give us one challenge that you've experienced um, being a single mom and graduate student here in New York City? The first thing that I want to say is, oh, it's too expensive. Everything. Housing, graduate student tuition, and food, and everything. Yeah, it's so expensive. So as a single mom, I need to um, take all the responsibilities and try to manage my budget well and continue my education and continue my son's education. Yeah, like this morning I talked to the, um, um, the, the, the apartment management office and to ask them to renew my current lease. And I just got to know, okay, so the, uh, the, the, the rent will go up a little bit, not just a little bit, actually, about 18 or 20%. In the fall? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So I need to think about 
whether to find a new apartment or to just stay where we are now, because that's the place my son loves. And yeah, so it's expensive to live in and to to study in NYC. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so true. <laughs> what about you, Erica? Um, so, okay, so I'm gonna start off with I'm not a single mom anymore. I don't want to knock him. But I, we, we ended up getting back together. That's the thing. But I'm gonna oh. tell you about my experience because I was a single mom in New York. So I'm a piggyback on what Shay was saying and it's hard as can be. Mm-hmm. Um, time, effort, you're trying to figure out when to give yourself the time and effort, right? The, your energy to, to, um, to care for yourself, basically, essentially, that's a hard challenge because um, you're constantly trying to figure out what to do with your children and things aren't close enough for cho- for the young kids under five, I guess. They're close enough, but not close enough. You get what I'm saying? Because it's, it's time to get there, time to get back, and then you need to feed your kids while you're there and things like that. Um, that's anywhere, but it's a different story in, in, in NYC. Um, yeah, I didn't have a Right. So that's a whole different story. Um, and taking transportation, although people do that in New York, but yeah. And for yeah. me, uh, something that comes to mind is taking the subway because when you have little children, you have strollers. And uh, I, not until I was a mom in New York City did I really pay attention to um, how inaccessible um, public transportation can be. Uh, because, every, like, for example, the stop that we usually use is the on the one train 116 columbia they don't have an elevator or an escalator so i've had one time uh, my daughter was sleeping she fell asleep in the stroller on the way back home and i had i didn't want to wake her up so i carried her in one arm and the stroller in the other arm up two sets of stairs to get from the the Mm -hmm. subway platform to the street and, uh, you know, I'll ask people to help me sometimes or people will see you in that struggle and help or and if I see another mom in that struggle, I'll help her. Um, but definitely just getting around and, and it makes me think about, um, you know, also people who are dealing with disability and who uh, they if I really needed to use the um, the elevator or the escalator, I'd have to go to 125th Street and then walk back. And so it'd be quite an inconvenience. So that's definitely something that came up for me. Um, so my last question is, we are all student parents and members of racially minoritized communities. And how does this affect your approach to choosing schools in New York City for your child? Um. I can go. Um, in February and March, I spent a lot of time seeking 3K program for my son, starting September 2023. And I visited um, five or at least five schools. I attended their open house. I, I often, I also um, took my mom and my son to those schools to let them see. So this is what a 3K program looks like and to see if my son loves the environment, loves the space, loves the teacher or not. Or so, and because I I have to say that I never realized that I'm Chinese or I'm Asian (laughs) before I came to the United States. Mm. I mean, this sense of, I'm Chinese or this sense of I'm Asian 
became more apparent for me the day I came here. Mm. And very often I can notice what it means or what challenges we may face as a racially minoritized communities, let alone I'm international student. And when I find 3K programs, I pay a lot of attention to how much diversity my son will be experiencing in the space, including the students and the teachers. And I want my son to have the opportunities to meet with people from all different racial or ethnic backgrounds and speaking all different languages. That's important. Mm-hmm. And I, especially I do not want my son to be whitewashed. And yesterday I talked with a mom, another um, Chinese immigrant, first generation Chinese immigrant. And he, she said that she had a very interesting talk with her son about being a banana here, which means ABC, um, yellow skin, but white inside. And yeah, we, we may continue this conversation maybe in another <laughs> podcast series. But Did somebody say that to her child? Not to her child, but um, her child heard some other kids mm. talking about this being ABC or being a banana. And you know, we have a similar term uh, in the black community. Right, what is that? Oreo. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Black on the outside, white. So there's also, it's interesting that these terms, you know, these terms Mm -hmm. seem to keep going generation to generation. I remember hearing those type of terms when I was young. And yeah, I definitely think about the same things. So you like, who is going to be in my child's class? And I do want, you know, my daughter to be in diverse classes and to have diverse teachers too because right uh one of the problems i i grew where i grew up uh you know i had basically all white teachers like from um first grade to um to to graduating high school and um and and i i look back and i'm like wait that wasn't cool <laughs> you know i don't want that for my child because it teaches you that that uh certain people are containers of knowledge and others are not and I mm-hmm. want my child to look at all people as capable or, or p- possessing knowledge. And, um, yeah, and then as a black teacher myself, you know, I, you, get on the, you get on the other side and you see how sometimes students may not look at you as a container of knowledge because they haven't been trained that way. They haven't had diverse teachers themselves, you know. So what about you, Erica? Really interesting conversation. I think we should have this conversation some more outside of this or even another podcast maybe. But um, my approach to choosing schools, um, not necessarily just in New York City, but um, since we're talking about it, but um, yes, the diversity, I would say it's kind of hard though. Let me just, since we're talking about it, it's hard to your it's hard to get a really diverse and we're not just talking about ethnically right culturally like beliefs values certain things too right not just what we want to believe and stick our kids in that program but then not just like all asian all black all hispanic schools and it's kind of hard for the most part but what i chose to look for is um language development 
Um, Because I think it's super important, especially as as a black person that doesn't speak another language. And now I'm going out to the workforce and I can get jobs, except the ones that I can't speak another language for eats me up. Um, So now as a racially minoritized um, minoritized community, as a black woman, especially for my daughter, I want her to know another language. Um, and so just being in a community that where that um, speaks another language, being around people, speaking to people, right? So it starts with me too as a mother. I'm speaking to two to different people that speak different languages, right? You too. Um, they don't know that, I, but I'll tell them, right? But they'll see me speaking to different people. And then they'll see people speaking different languages outside of me and they'll just relate the culture. They'll relate a relationship building and things like that. Um, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean. Shaji, you've talked about the similar thing about your son uh, that you want Connor to, you know, develop dual language capabilities. Can you um, speak to that a little bit? That's the first question I ask all the schools when I had um, school tours. How will you support a child whose home language is not English, who only speaks Chinese at home? And um, the school's that I applied for around TC are all English monolingual, or some of them have Spanish English dual language program, but not Chinese English dual language program. And the schools I know with Chinese language is usually Midtown or downtown Manhattan, which is too far away from me. So even though some of the schools, they do not have the language, they do not have a teacher who speaks Chinese, but I can tell that some of the school are more friendly or are more opening to different languages and different schools. And some school, um, they invite parents, families to become collaborator in the children's education. They invite parents to come to the classroom to tell stories in another language, to all the children. I think that's beautiful because it's not just important for my son, for a bilingual, multilingual child, but also for for the children who only sp- who speaks English only. So they can all benefit from this multilingual, bilingual resources. And they um, can all see the value of being diverse in language, in, in, in culture. Yeah, I think that's important. So, so mm-hmm. important. My sister is an ESL teacher and uh, she talks about, she frequently shares with me her experiences um, talking about uh, the diversity of her students and they're all coming from different countries and they're all learning English alongside content material. And, um, you know, it's just so interesting. I, also want for my daughter to uh, speak another language. Her um, father speaks French. And so I have, uh, while she attends a monolingual school that's English speaking, uh, I have supplemented her studies, putting her in summer French camp last summer. Also, she's taking classes um, through the Alliance Francaise. It was a little difficult because those classes were on Zoom. And, uh, you know, she was three and it's like, how do you keep the kids engaged? But I wanted her to, you know, start to hear the words. And we did, you know, now we say there's certain things that we say to each other in French and she understands those. It's it's um, it's definitely complicated trying to uh, raise um, a bilingual, multilingual children um, in in these contexts where it's 
not all the schools are supporting that. Um, I did. I know I said it was my last question, but I realized I skipped one question. So if we have time for one more question, I'll add this and then I'll move it up. So we have been graduate students during a pandemic and we've been living in New York City during the pandemic, global pandemic. How did the pandemic affect your mothering? Particularly, you know, if it relates to New York City or just in general, how did the pandemic affect your mothering? I'll start. I can say that, um, you know, there for about a year, we during the when the pandemic first started, my daughter and I went back to my hometown, Rochester, New York, and so she was um, taking. I enrolled her. When we, when we went to Rochester, I signed up for all of the museums. I became a member of all the local museums. I signed, got a membership at the JCC because they have great facilities and wonderful pool. And she spent a lot of time with adults because she was with me, with my, you know, there was my mom, like my sister, all, everyone's older, um, and her nanny. And, you know, there was a period where I felt like, people were saying that they were worried about how the pandemic was going to affect the little kids and their social skills. Uh, but I actually feel like having uh, that experience for her sort of gave her this confidence because when she's around adults, she's, I find that she's pretty confident to, you know, to express herself, to express her views, um, and to, to make her demands. And, um, yeah, so I, I think that, you know, just, sort of realizing that was uh, was something some way that the pandemic affected um, how how I approach you know raising her as just more making sure that she has these experiences in different uh, age groups of people what about you guys or I should say what about you ladies well <clears throat> different ways uh think back okay so in the beginning i was working in la and on site um as a licensing program analyst like so basically you're the reinforcer making sure that child care programs are um following policy right policy regulations so i was on site and of course everything was fine right and then everything shut down so they were in child care my children was in a family child care home at that time got shut down for some time. So you're like scrambling, scrambling like everybody else. Um, so the children are at home now and I'm at home too. So it was a different story instead of me just working. So it was a time for me to readjust. And like you're saying really Jacqueline, like in that time I'm like, ah, but as I'm looking back, right. It was a time where I got to learn more about my kids, got to bond more with my children. Um, more than, of course, because they're at school at eight hours, right? I'm at work. Then we come home and we just feed, bathe, do that routine, play a little bit, not much, not much bonding. Um, so it, it grew over time. As as I'm realizing it now, growth and bonding, yes. Um, but in that time, it changed a whole dynamic of me as well. Um, and it took, honestly, it put me in a gear. I'm in TC, right? I'm still in, in graduate school, right? I'm, it didn't um, knock me off my feet, but it kind of pushed me a little bit more. Um, so I guess different things. Yeah. Thank you, Erica. 
Um, my son was born in February 2020, right before the worst period of pandemic. And um, 2020, that was the year I graduated. I mean, I got my master's degree. And that summer, um, because of all the uh, travel restrictions, we could not go back to China. So we moved to Long Island, stay with um, a friend and their family for two months before we came back to Manhattan. And that was a beautiful summer. Um, my friend has two sons back then, three years old and um, 10 years old, and my son was um, six months. And, uh, yeah, we spent a lot of time together, children of different ages, and we we co-parenting in that way. Mm. I mean... Two different families, but we stayed on the, under the same roof, and and we co-parenting, and uh, and I I really appreciate my my friends' family their support because that was the hardest time for me as a mom um, who cannot get back to China to to see my family, and then I started my doctoral journey in the fall of 2020, and for a whole year it was virtual, where the uh, pandemic cohort. And I remember those days I, I had all my courses online at home, which gave me a lot of opportunity. I mean, I just literally spent every single minute with my son. And that was great. And I remember sometimes um, I took my evening class and my son um, got annoyed and I, I just breastfeeding him and... <laughs> In the middle of a class, mm-hmm. I listened to Foucault and, <laughs> and <laughs> breastfed my baby. I just um, lift up the, 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 the camera a little bit. <laughs> that's a little bit. I mean, that's a beautiful memory. Although back then, I was like, oh, what the hell is happening here? But now I regarded those memories like the best part of my life. Yes, it's so... Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I mean, I... You know, people, the way that people were talking about this period and affecting children um, and parents, they, it made it seem so dark, but all three of us are saying that there was something beautiful that happened there, you know, and, and the same for me. I, you know, I have um, videos I was looking back over and um, from that time period where I would be like, you know, taking my class virtually and my daughter would be like having breakfast and, you know, and I could see her or I had converted my mother's basement into like my office. So sometimes I would go down there and And when I would be done, I could come upstairs and see what my daughter was doing. Or like I said, she had a curriculum now that was all the local uh, museums and um, and community centers, you know. So like her babysitter was taking her every day to like a different museum. It was just like a rotation. And that was really great for her. So um, you guys, I feel like we have really touched on some really interesting things. And this is just like the tip of the iceberg. I'm so grateful that you took the time today to meet with me and to chat about being a mom in New York City. Uh, This has been really, really fascinating. And I feel like there may be some continuation. We'll see. (laughs) But thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mask Lab podcast series, Unique New York. If you would like to learn more about the lab, find us at www.masklab.org. 
That's www.masclab.org. This episode is produced and edited by Jacqueline Cofield. The theme music is Grandma's Impala by Sarah the Instrumentalist, available on YouTube.